0: We're going to take a detour this morning and head to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In our study of Matthew, we're right at the break between chapter 9 and 10, and next week we'll come back to Matthew chapter 10 and begin our study there with the kingdom mission being mobilized by Jesus. Uh, last week we saw his model in Matthew chapter 9 as he went through towns and villages um, tirelessly preaching and healing and casting out demons and caring for the people with great compassion. And with that model in mind, we'll jump into chapter 10 as he uh, sends out the 12 disciples next Sunday morning. But for today, we're going to take a break and pause and go to a passage that has been on my mind uh, recent, recently and has been on my mind really for years. This is a text that I have loved and meditated on, and I trust it will be a blessing to you. We're going to study just three verses this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, I want to read Some pass some of this passage to you to set the context. Let me begin reading in verse seven and you can read along as I read out loud. Um, Verse seven says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay and the treasure is the, the message of the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair Day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient or are passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal, they're lasting. And this is the word of God. And we'll study this morning just verses 16 through 18 as we address the power of perspective in the Christian's life. About two months ago, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to uh, get a temporary membership at a, at a gym, in a local gym actually down in Bicelia, Lifestyles. And uh, they had a 12, 12 days for 12 bucks deal. And so this was a great opportunity. They have a gymnasium there. Guys play basketball in there beginning at three every afternoon. So I hadn't played basketball in probably five or six months up to that point. For $12, I bought 12 opportunities to go and play basketball with guys that I didn't know. So I showed up that first opportunity. That first buck was well spent, let me tell you. Uh, I showed up to the gym. I laced up my shoes, and everything looked like normal. Everything from the outside would have appeared as if I was prepared to play basketball. And even, I would say, at some level, the habits of my body, because of muscle memory, would have lended you some idea that I was prepared for that that experience. But about two trips up and down the court later, I realized that the internal quality did not match the external quality. And what might have appeared to be a prepared individual to play basketball was actually a very unprepared individual, because my poor... Desperate lungs were not ready to do what I was calling them into action to do. The first thing that goes in athletics is your ability to endure, to play and to play. In fact, there was a kid there who I played against in a league here since we've moved here before. And this little guy plays basketball, I think, about six hours a day. He plays and plays and plays. And when someone uh, right before the game is about to begin says they can't play, he's jumping into the game. He's going to play. He runs and he runs and he runs and he never stops. And I think to myself, I already remember those days. Like it's already past tense. And some of you are looking at me and you're saying, it's been three times as long than it's been for you, Adam, in your life. Past tense. Endurance goes out the window. First things in athletics, if you're an athlete or you dream of being an athlete, you find that somehow you lose very quickly a large amount of your endurance. This morning, we're going to deal with the issue of endurance, but not in a physical sense, not in the ability to keep going physically, not in the ability to run up and down a court or across the field or on a track or on a tennis court or whatever the case. We're dealing with endurance in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that deals specifically with our endurance in ministry. The Apostle Paul here speaks of his ministry, his ministry of mercy with the new covenant is what he says in verse one of chapter four. He has the ministry by the mercy of God to pronounce the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. And interestingly enough, in our New Testaments, as we're finding in Matthew chapter nine, and we will certainly find in Matthew chapter 10, the Bible assumes that you are a minister of the gospel. Matthew chapter 28 calls you into service along with every other individual who has been radically saved by God's grace. You are a minister of the gospel. Paul, of course, in a very unique sense, was set apart for apostolic ministry. He was a spokesman for Jesus Christ. And yet we share with him the the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry of mercy, the ministry of the gospel as the the central uh, activity of our christian lives if we were not here first and foremost to spread the message of grace through jesus christ we would already be in heaven right if the christian life was simply to be a gathering together as a a central part of life and we're just simply to cloister together commune together Lock the doors, button down the hatches, circle the wagons, and let's hold out until Jesus gets here. We really are misunderstanding the Christian life. We gather together as the church and we scatter from this gathering as evangelists, as ministers of the gospel. That's the assumption of our New Testament. There's another assumption in our New Testament that we've already found in the Beatitudes. And that we're going to find again in chapter 10. And that assumption is those who are faithful to Christ. Those who give their lives for Christ. They are assumed to experience suffering for Christ. That's the assumption. That's what your New Testament expects for you. And I don't know what kind of experiences are represented in all of these faces, but... Most of us have not experienced much suffering for the cause of Christ. We often credit our lack of suffering for Christ to our religious freedom in America. And surely that is a part of the blessing of living at this time and in this nation. In which we live. But I propose to you this morning that. Many of us, many in Grace Church, many who come together at the first of the week to worship God together here do not suffer for Christ because we do not truly minister for Christ. Because we do not live faithfully in the ministry to which we have called, because we are worldly believers, because we are wrapped up entirely with what we can taste, touch and sense around us, we do not suffer For Christ this week, one of the quotes that was given and there were a bunch of great quotes, but one of the quotes was from Adrian Rogers. Maybe you've listened to Adrian on the radio, the late Adrian Rogers, who's now in glory with the Savior. He said the problem with preachers today is that no one wants to kill them. There was a day when preachers had a death warrant on them because of what they proclaimed and what they boldly proclaimed. And I could echo with. Pastor Rogers, the problem with Christians, it seems today, is that no one wants to kill us. The world doesn't even know that we are ministers of the new covenant, the ministry of mercy. The prophets suffered. Jesus himself suffered. Surely the apostles suffered. The martyrs of the church, the early church, suffered immensely. The reformers suffered suffered immensely, and even today there are Christians all over the world who are ministering for the gospel, who are suffering, some at an immense level and some at just a minute level, but all who are faithful. 2 Timothy 2 tells us all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Kent Hughes reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul's assumption of us is that we are in the game. And if we are in the game, we are with him in suffering. And if we are in suffering with the Apostle Paul because we are ministers of the gospel, then, then we desperately need endurance because the suffering will weaken us. It will beat us down. It will make our spiritual lungs burn. And so we need to endure. We need something to energize us when we're weary in the ministry of the gospel. The Apostle Paul stands as the ultimate example of this kind of endurance. In fact. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, you don't have to turn there. But he outlines all of the things that took place in his life. And he he does this with, neg- uh, with uh, regret. Because he does not want to share his own uh, resume spiritually if you will. But he says to my shame in verse 21. I must say. We were too weak for that. The. A claim would be from the false teachers that Paul was a weakling and that he should not be listened to. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one Jewish custom. You couldn't beat another Jew um, more than 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. We can get a little sense this morning of that. And apart from these other things... There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul understood the ministry that he had been called to was also accompanied by suffering. And therefore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we find the first sentence of verse 16, one that should be highlighted and underlined. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. We don't quit We don't stop. How is it that Paul is able to say that he will endure? He will not quit. He will not lose heart. The idea here is the heart just falling away. Paul was able to say that because of what comes in his careful teaching in verses 16, 17 and 18. We're going to find that Paul communicates to us that he does not lose heart because he has a very specific christian perspective he has a powerful perspective he has a a way of looking at life he has a grid through which he looks at every circumstance of his life that provides for him the endurance to continue on in faithful ministry as a follower of christ and this morning if you and i are to be faithful to our calling. If we are to be faithful ministers of the gospel, if we're actually to live for Christ and to endure in that ministry in the face of persecution, in the face of suffering, in the face of trial. We will only endure to the glory of God if we endure through this perspective, through these careful perspectives that Paul provides in verses 16, 17 and 18. Paul will not desert the cause. He will not leave the battlefield because of these three powerful perspectives. Let's look at these together briefly and we won't spend a lot of time, but let's let's look at them at least together. Powerful perspective. Number one. Verse verse 16, we find the first of these three perspectives. We have an outer decay, but an inner renewal. We have an outer decay. But an inner renewal verse 16 goes on to say, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day or the outer man and the inner man. Though our outer self is wasting away, we have an outer decay. But Paul says we have an inner renewal. And this perspective was was a guardrail on the apostles life. It was a grid through which he looked at life in an entirely different way, an entirely Christian perspective. Paul says, but though, uh, giving us the reality of what is most certain in that first part of this perspective, though, our outer self is wasting away. This is not something that needs argued. You and I are aware that the outer man is wasting away. That's a great translation falling apart. Many of you woke up this morning. You lost an hour of sleep last night. Some haven't. They'll probably be here in just a little bit. We'll just smile at them. Some of you have been there before. Most of you lost an hour of sleep last night. And you woke up this morning. And you were reminded that the outer man, the outer self, is decaying. It is wasting away. It's falling apart. Some of you have done Work over this weekend in your yard, it's spring cleaning time, you're freshening everything up, you're you're cleaning in, in, in different areas of the house that you haven't cleaned before. And and you're rallying the troops to help you. And and in doing that, you've been bent in certain positions that you were never intended to be bent in. And so you have been reminded that the outer man is decaying. Paul was certainly aware of this. Think of the Apostle Paul. Think of what chapter 11 talked about in his life. For the cause of the ministry of mercy. Paul's back would have been covered with a massive layer of scar tissue. Massive. Because of the beatings that he had taken. His bones would have been bruised deeply. He would carry on his physical body the abuse that he took. Here was a man who was who was pointedly aware of the decay of his body. He knew the shell was falling apart as many of us are aware of. And yet Paul's perspective, the enduring perspective that he gives here, the grid through which he looks at life is though this is falling apart. There is an inner self. There is an inner man. There is the spiritual reality of who we are in Christ. There is the inside that is being renewed day by day by day by day. This is a interesting verb that is used here in this second part of this first powerful perspective. It says that our outer self is wasting away, which is an ongoing process. But our inner self is being renewed. Being is a key word because it gives you a passive understanding. That is, this is happening to you. We are not able to renew ourselves. You cannot renew your inner man on your own. is something that's being accomplished on your behalf. And Paul was confident that his inner man was being renewed and God himself through his grace and the power of his spirit through his word was constantly renewing the inner man of the apostle Paul. Therefore, when he suffered for the ministry, when he suffered for Christ, he kept going. He just kept going. Listen, if if all of a sudden things turned very violent towards Christianity and and one of us was dragged out into the middle of town and we were beaten 39 times, shredding our backs, we would all be thinking twice about our commitment to being a part of Grace Church of the Valley. All of a sudden, the question of are you a Christian would mean something entirely different Apostle Paul lived with that reality. The New Testament church lived with that reality. How could they endure under such pressure, under such opposition? It was because, first of all, this powerful perspective guided their thoughts. There was an outer decay that was ongoing. The tent was falling down, but the inner man was being renewed. In fact, we know this concept of the inner man. Even from. Chapter five, verse 17, maybe on the other side of the page for you. Maybe it's a page over. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is this new man. There is a new inner self that is represented here. This is being renewed. The minister who will endure the ministry of the gospel will be one who lives the reality of Romans twelve one and two. Right. Give themselves as a sacrifice, enjoying the renewing of the mind so that they are not conformed to the world, but they are transformed, bearing the very image of Jesus Christ. This is the endurance. Of those who have the powerful perspective. Let's flip over to Acts chapter 16 and we'll see Paul's illustration of this. This is important to those of us who have been in adult Sunday school. We're studying some of us are studying. The book of Philippians, Acts chapter 16, is taking place in Philippi. Notice the illustration of the perspective that Paul reveals. Outer man decaying, inner man being renewed. Notice this in verse number 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, right? This is an amazing story at Philippi. Paul and Silas are there. They cast out a demon out of this girl who's in the town. The owner is furious because that's a loss of resources because she can no longer tell the future. She can no longer see into the future. And so with that demon gone, he incites a riot against the Apostle Paul and the crowd in verse 22 joins in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. So here Paul and Silas. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So the Apostle Paul is simply ministering. He's found Lydia and some other ladies. He's communicated the gospel. These are genuine believers. And he is doing the missionary work that he is so, so faithful to accomplish on the pages of our New Testament. One individual is furious about that work. The crowd falls upon them and beats them, and the leaders of the community order them to be beaten and thrown in the prison. Now, this prison is not what you're thinking of. It doesn't have carpeted floors, it doesn't have cable television. It's a hole in the ground. It has no facilities for waste management. Right? There are other things living in the prison besides human beings who are being held captive. There are every kind of rodent and rat that would use a prison as a a likely place to get a quick meal. Paul's thrown in there. They are beaten. They are destroyed physically. And verse 24 says that the jailer, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. And the inner prison would have been an inside room inside of the jail. So if you happen to break friends into the jail, they could not possibly get to the inner chamber without being caught. Now, there's the outer man decaying in the stocks, in the prison, in the inner cell. Disgusting situation. Brutal physical abuse. And verse 25 says the inner man is being renewed about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And you remember the story from here. Good old Philippian jailer. He says, this is it. Life's over. This kind of mistake doesn't happen in the Roman guard. Uh, The consequences are severe. So let's go ahead and get it over with now. He starts to get ready to kill himself. Paul says, we're all still here. The point I want us to see is the illustration of what Paul clearly is speaking of in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed. He's been beaten. He's been thrown into a hole. He has been locked up in horrible circumstances for the cause of Christ. And they are singing and praying. And the other prisoners are enjoying the mini concert of Paul and Silas on their road tour. It's amazing. It's incredible. And it comes only from this kind of perspective. Now there's a second one in verse number 17. Paul goes on to say, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Powerful perspective number one, we have outer decay, but we have inner renewal. Powerful perspective number two, we have present suffering, but we have future glory. I mean, what's the grid through which Paul looks at life? Well, first of all, he looks at life as not being about this, this outer shell that's, that's falling apart. But being about the inner man that's being renewed day by day. The eternal life that will live on. The power of the resurrection that he has already mentioned in verse 14 and 15. But secondly, he is consumed with this concept. He has this, this layer through the grid that he looks at life. For this momentary affliction is preparing eternal weight of glory. We have present suffering, but a future glory this is the power of comparison right paul looks at his suffering and he uses some fascinating words for his situation light and momentary now the word light is a hard one for us to get but it's the concept of of so light that it's not even really on the radar it would be like someone telling you you have a mosquito on your back Right? You, you, It's such a light weight that there is no awareness that it's there until a day or two later. And then you know it was there. Paul says, this affliction, this life that I'm living, this suffering that I'm experiencing for the cause of the ministry of the gospel, faithfulness to being what I must be in a culture that rejects it. It's, it's featherweight. It's unknowably light. And not only that, but it is it is momentary. It's here and it's gone. It's, it's just a millisecond and it's gone. Think about what Paul was saying was light and momentary. Think back to chapter 11 and his description of life as a minister of the gospel Think about Acts chapter 16. Think about any number of the accounts that we find in the life of the Apostle Paul in his faithfulness to ministry. And think of your life being plugged into that life and then this perspective flowing out of you. It is a light and momentary affliction. This doesn't weigh anything to me and it's only here for a microsecond and it's gone. How in the world could he say that? because that perspective was provided with the comparison of the second part of verse 17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing it has a it has an end it is working something is preparing for us an eternal weight an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison and Paul like so many other places piles up words here To try to get across what he's communicating with this powerful perspective. There is a present suffering, but there's a future glory. And that perspective of comparison overwhelms the Apostle Paul. At the end of verse 17, you see him describing the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So, looking at heaven, looking at eternity looking at the reward that would come for faithful ministry. In comparison, the Apostle Paul sees his suffering as light and momentary. And when he looks at the glory of heaven, he sees eternal and weighty. It will never end. And the immensity of it is incalculable. This heavenly perspective, this ability to look at the eternal things, is the very reason the Apostle Paul can say so boldly, So we do not lose heart. We do not quit. The last phrase of verse 17. Paul says the weight of glory beyond all comparison. We already looked at one of these this morning in Philippians where he piles superlatives up in his use of words. Beyond all comparison, this is outside of the realm of understanding. This is glory that is beyond comprehension. This was Paul's thought. This was his meditation. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. The Apostle Paul was able to endure and be faithful in ministry because he looked at life through the grid of powerful Christian perspective. The outer man is falling apart, but the inner man is being renewed. I have temporary, momentary, present affliction, but I have a future glory. And it far, far outweighs the suffering that I'm experiencing at this point for Christ. There is no such thing. As being so heavenly minded. That you are of no earthly good. That's a fallacy. That's a myth. It's the other way around. We ought to be desiring to be so heavenly minded. That we are of some earthly good. The Apostle Paul carried that perspective through his life. Our Christian perspective is foolish. In the world's eyes. It is this radical Worldview that stands so outside of and so contrary and such contrast to the world in which we live, the culture around us. Paul shows us this powerful perspective. The outer man falls apart, but the inner man is renewed. There is present suffering, but there is eternal glory. And then thirdly, in verse 18, we find the third and final of these powerful perspectives. We have a visible world, but we focus on invisible reality. We have a visible world, but we focus on invisible reality. Verse 18 says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The Apostle Paul says the, the state in which this activity of the first two perspectives takes place is in this third perspective. It is the guiding principle by which we live. The inner man is invisible. The eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comparison is invisible. And so it is with this third perspective that the first two actually take place. It is this perspective that is the defining mark of the believer and of the faithful, enduring minister of the gospel, looking not on the things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. You cannot have a number two perspective or a number one perspective without number three. You cannot have verse 16 as your testimony or verse 17 as your testimony or both of them as your testimony unless verse 18 is your testimony. How clearly and how focused you gaze at the unseen is directly connected to how much you will endure for the cause of Christ. This is seen versus unseen. It is the Christian life versus the worldly life. Say, what is worldliness? Like in Christian lingo, we use worldliness as a, a, a negative description. What is worldliness? And You don't want to be a worldly Christian or I don't want to be worldly or that person is so worldly the basic definition of a worldly person is someone who is completely wrapped up in this world in other words what they can see and touch and feel and what they can know and what they can experience is all that there is that's all they think about that's how their priorities are established that's how they decide what they will do with their resources with their finances that's That's how they decide what will make them happy. It's it's the deciding factor in what they will pursue. In how many toys they will accumulate. In how many pursuits they will endeavor to bring themselves joy. A worldly individual is one who looks only to what they can see. A Christian, on the other hand, is one who gazes at the unseen. Isn't that amazing? Paul basically says here, Look at what you can't see. Stare at what is invisible. I mean, that's just like us saying that we're going to go out today and watch the wind. You can't watch the wind. You can watch the effects of the wind, but you can't watch the wind. You can watch the leaves blowing in the wind, but you can't see the wind. And Paul says, stare at what cannot be seen. You say, well, how in the world could I look at what is invisible? Certainly, Paul is talking here about our spiritual eyesight looking at the invisible is the very is the very uh, explanation of what we find in hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 faith is looking at the invisible it is believing what you cannot see what you cannot touch the christian perspective the enduring christian perspective is marked by this focus. On invisible realities. Everything seen is mere temporal reality. But those unseen truths. Are the realities of God. And Christ. And heaven. They are the realities of the inner man. That is renewed. They are the realities of eternal glory. That is to be expected. John MacArthur says. That endurance comes as long as believers. Are looking in the right direction. This doesn't mean adds john piper that we leap into the dark without evidence of what's there but it does mean that the most precious and important realities in the world are beyond our senses now and we look at them through what we know of christ from faithful witnesses who have seen him and heard his voice we strengthen our hearts we renew our courage by fixing the gaze of our hearts on invisible objective truth that we learn about through the testimony of those who knew christ And we're taught by him. That is the apostles. That is our scriptures. So the question is, how is our focus? Where is our spiritual eyesight? If we were to look at the spiritual eye chart, how would we do? How far down can we actually see? Or how far up can we actually see? Is Colossians chapter 3 really taking place? Are we really setting our eyes on things above and not on things below? Or are we consumed with the below? Are we like the the book of Ecclesiastes? Are we battling with the futility of living life under the sun? Or are we living life under the sun with a reality that is above the sun? Are we truly gazing on the invisible? What is the ratio in our lives of a focus on the seen versus the unseen? Every day of your life. You are being preached to. Every day of your life. You are looking at. You are hearing. You are watching on your television. Or in the newspaper. Whatever it is. You are receiving instruction. And any instruction that is apart from Christ. Any instruction that is apart from the truth of God's word. Is begging you to stare at what is right here and now. What is visible And yet the Apostle Paul says the consuming sight of his life was what was unseeable. You say, why is it that Christians always nag about read your Bible every day? Um, They listen to Christian music. I mean, these people are just over the top. Because the believer that is that is set his affections on Christ will desire to see the unseen, to focus on the invisible realities that are his through faith in Jesus Christ. And the only means of doing that is through the truth revealed to us on the pages of our scriptures. And so we must be consumed with seeing Christ, with seeing heaven's glory, with seeing the great rewards, with seeing the renewal of the inner man. With seeing these through the eyes of faith. Knowing and loving our God and our Savior. Depending upon the spirit. Well, we talked about this this morning with the Lord already. We already have talked to the father and and confessed that we're aware that the spirit is with us and guiding us even in the truth this morning. How in the world can we say that? Because through eyes of faith on the pages of our New Testament, John chapter 14 clearly communicates that in the absence of the Son, the Spirit will come. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the fruition of that. And throughout the, the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit indwelling those who are redeemed. And so we, through eyes of faith, focus on what we cannot see. We cannot see the Holy Spirit. We cannot touch him. We can only see the effects that he has on lives. We can only see the, the leaves blowing in the wind. And yet we focus on the unseen. What areas of your life are filling you with the seen? I thought it was appropriate at this point to address something that is on most, if not all, of our minds. How much of your life is wrapped up? How much of your priorities are wrapped up? How much of your joy And contentment and peace is wrapped up in the economy of the United States of America. Because I believe that if you are going to endure in faithful ministry in the gospel, a perspective will be yours that says what is seen is reality, but it is simply temporal reality. My focus is on what is unseen. You want contentment and joy and a settled heart in the middle of upheaval in a financial standpoint? It will be because the eyes of the heart are focused on eternal truths. It will be because the eyes of the heart are focused on what cannot be seen, on the Father who is sovereign, who is over all things, who is working everything according to His purpose, for His glory and for our good. It will be on the greater realities of the riches of heaven that await those who are in Christ. Though we lose everything. Though we are destitute and we join our Savior in saying. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But I don't have a place to put my head. If that was our end. We would be able to endure because of this kind of perspective. We look not on the things that are seen. But at the things that are unseen. Why? Because the things that are seen are unseen temporary they're transient they're passing but the things that are unseen are eternity eternal your bank accounts your retirement fund your stocks whatever the case those are simply temporal realities And if you're in christ you have eternal eternal truths that should be the cause for endurance and joy in the ministry Our government, the situation of our country politically is another cause for discussion and concern, and yet the believer will be guarded by this same powerful perspective. This is the worldview of the Apostle Paul that made it possible for him to say in verse 16, So we do not lose heart, we will not quit. So let's ask some questions. Paul was a minister of the gospel. Are you? Am I really or is that just kind of a cool thing that we like to nod and talk about here? I mean, really, when we leave these doors, the question begins, are we going to be ministers of the gospel? Will we boldly proclaim the life changing power that alone comes through Jesus Christ and his finished work at the cross? Will we really tell other people that unless they turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to an eternal hell? He is the only way. Really? Paul was a minister. Are we ministers of the gospel? Consequently, Paul suffered. Do you? Do I? Is our lack of suffering due to the answer to the first question? If we're faithful, we can expect. The rejection and persecution of a lost and blinded world. Number three, Paul was enduring in ministry. Are you? Am I? If we're ministering and if we're suffering for the cause of Christ, will we endure? Are we enduring? Or will we turn our back? Will we lose heart? Will we quit the game? Will we walk away? Will we throw in the towel? Whatever the cliche, are we enduring? Paul was. And that led to the fourth fact in question. Paul finished well. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Paul was able to say, I've finished my course. I've run the race. I've done exactly what I've been called to do. I've been faithful to that. Paul was able to say that with a clear conscience because he had ministered and he had endured in that suffering for the sake of ministry. Will you finish well? If today's it. If this is it. Tomorrow is eternity. And you're here as a follower of Christ. What will mark? What will be the mark of your life? Will you finish well? Will you be able to say, I've run the race? Or will you have some other sad testimony on your Christian life? Our New Testaments expect us as God's people to be ministers for the gospel. It also expects of us that if we are actually faithful to minister for the gospel, that we will suffer persecution. And it provides for us a powerful perspective, a grid through which we can look at that suffering and endure and be faithful for the cause of Christ. Because we are consumed with the reality that this outer man can fall away because the inner man is being renewed. This temporal life can be full of bad things happening to me. Because eternity is full of an eternal weight of glory in the presence of Christ. And what is seen around me can go to shambles. Because I know of unseen truths that are the bedrock of my existence. I'm a Christian. Therefore, I see life differently. And because I see life differently, I live life differently. Because I live life differently, I suffer. And because of this perspective... I endure this was Paul's testimony and this can be your testimony because grace is available through Christ for obedience to this kind of a perspective. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this brief study. This kind of superficial overview of this little section. And yet we are aware that even in this time. The clarity of. Paul's words under the superintending work of the Holy Spirit is such that the conviction is obvious for us. The accusation against our worldliness is quite clear. And we confess that in the week past, we have often gazed at the scene. We have often forgotten that the inner man is being renewed as we have complained and focused on the outer man decaying. We have often we have often neglected to meditate upon the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. We have we have lived out the antithesis of Paul's Christian perspective. And now this morning we turn our hearts to you and we desire for our lives to be aligned with your word. We desire for the clear work of your spirit in Paul's life to be the clear work in our life. We desire for our ministry to be faithful, to be declaring the gospel, to be faithful with those that are near us, those loved ones that are around us, those neighbors that are around us, those people at the school, the parents of our, our children's friends, whatever the case, we want to be faithful proclaimers of the gospel. And we expect to suffer for that proclamation, and we desperately desire to endure because of the perspective that is provided for us here in your word. Teach our hearts to love the unseen, to meditate and to focus upon what we do not yet know experientially, but what through the eyes of faith we believe. May the gospel be the centerpiece of our thoughts this week. May the unseen truths that Christ is sufficient in his payment. And he is sufficient in his grace. May the unseen promises of your word. The intangible promises that there is new mercy every morning. That you have put our sins as far as the east is from the west. That you have provided total forgiveness. That righteousness is ours in Christ. May may these be the consuming thoughts of our hearts. May we come to your word again and again and again. And may we sing again and again and again of these truths. May we worship you in private. May we intercede for our brothers and sisters by faith. Believing and focusing on invisible realities. So that we with the Apostle Paul, though we carry about in our broken jar of clay. In this sinful, disgusting body, we carry about this treasure. May we with the Apostle Paul be for your glory. So that the world around us might, might hear and see and know because of their interaction with us. That you are a great and mighty God. And that your Son is a great and mighty Savior. Use Grace Church. Use our church family for your purposes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.